Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, all you Omicron Dodgers, and welcome to another Tech Talk in the year 2022. And welcome to our navigator for the 21st century, Matthew Dickerson. Matt, you've taken some time off today from trying to uh, to locate rapid antigen tests. It's a full-time job these days. It is. What's been on your mind besides uh, an olfactory swab? Well, look, it is good that uh, you mentioned me there with the Omicron Dodger. I am at this stage, although I prefer to pronounce it Omicron. It just seems like <laughs> a little bit more exasperated. Yeah, that's right. That's I think it's I think it's the O should have O hyphen micron. So well, we're touching wood here because um, you know we've dodged it to this point. That's right. But we're all going to get it, aren't we? That's oh, kind of seems yeah, to be the logic kind of, of it. The way it's it go, seems yeah. to be friends and various people in different families that we know are all yeah. getting it, and it seems not too bad. The people that are vax, especially the ones that have got their booster, seems to have. Being like it's a bad cold. Right, provided you can stay out of hospital. Yeah, that's right. So I've actually been travelling around a little bit over the last week. Not too much, not too much, just getting (laughs) away a little bit. But one thing I was impressed with was when I jumped on a bus recently with my son and he pulled out his phone, as you do, and just wanted to check where buses were and what the next bus was we had to catch, just things you would normally do. And I had a quick glance over his shoulder and I realised that it wasn't an app from the bus company. It wasn't an app from the government that he was looking at. He was just looking at good old-fashioned Google Maps. But Google Maps had enough data being fed in that was metadata from people's phones on the buses that he had a more accurate idea of where the buses were, oh. where the trams <laughs> how were, the scheduling was going. how the scheduling was going. So forget about this whole idea of here's our schedule, here's the timetable, we need to make it really accurate. In Japan, for example, you can set your watch by when those trains come in. Mm. In Australia and Sydney, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now, rather than try and look at those timetables and then get down to the bus stop on time and stand there and, oh, I wonder if this bus is coming. Maybe it's coming early. Surely it wouldn't be early. I wonder how late it is. Now you just can use that metadata information and go, that's where the buses are. That's more up to date. That's more accurate than anything that they're doing from a, an official perspective. I thought yeah, that was so, very So one, one's a predictor and the other is what's really happening. What's really happening, yeah. <laughs> Based on, again, enough people being on that bus, enough people having metadata feeding in and that live data being read to actually be able to see where the bus is up to. So I thought that was pretty cool. We live in an amazing world. Absolutely. <laughs> and as I peruse the menu today, I note that you've got two or three tasty little upgrades for the home here. Keep your ears tuned if you're renovating, folks. And I see there's a tech remedy for snorers. Long-suffering bed partners better listen in carefully. And there's a big green revolution coming in the heavy transport industry, folks, thanks to some clever, well-financed innovation. But let's kick off with a highly palatable entree that should come with a free frisbee and a tennis ball. The technology on smartwatches is now so overcooked, there is pretty much nothing they can't do. So it's time to look further afield, folks to the pet care industry. And look out, Rover, it seems like you're getting yourself a new smart collar for 2022. Matt, is this pooch upgrade just a clever ploy to get people off the couch? I think it's a clever ploy to take people's money, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And we do talk about pets a little bit because it is a huge industry, multi-billion dollar industry across the world. And so people do some crazy things with their pets. And we've talked about it a little bit before 
with trackers where you can see what your dog's doing for the day, for example. So you might put a little tracker on your dog and you go off to work in the morning and you think your dog's having a nice little time in the backyard and you come home and look at the tracker and you go, hold on a second there. <laughs> you've been visiting Daisy across the road, haven't you? Or you've been out with your mates and going around and causing some havoc around the neighbourhood and you come next home. next town and back. <laughs> That's right. But you're all innocent in the backyard when I come home. You know the time I'm coming home. So you might use trackers for that type of thing. You might use trackers to track activity, but a smart collar now you can actually get for your dog so you can start to monitor things like, get ready for it, heart rate of your dog, the resting respiratory rate of your dog. Start to look for some health issues, pretty much the same as we do with our smart watches where we're tracking heart rates or we're doing ECGs with our watch. You can do some of those same sorts of things. Now for a dog, you can imagine that's a bit harder because you've got different dogs, different sizes, different hair or fur on those dogs so they've been very clever with the way they've worked on that and basically it sends out a radar signal around the dog's neck to actually get past all the fur and hair and then get into the blood flow going through the neck to start to track some of those things like the respiratory rate or the heart rate so you can then start to get this full health check of your dog just from the collar now, the cynic in me says that maybe this is put forward by the veterinary industry, so then you take the dog along and say, hey, I've just got this information from my smart collar. doesn't look great for my dog. What can you do about it? <laughs> Rather than something just happening to your dog. I figure it's going to be uh, just a way for me to get in trouble with my vet for not walking my dog enough. That's a possibility as well, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you take the information along to the vet and he says, James, you James. said you've been walking the yeah. dog. I'm looking at the information here and it's only an average of 1.2 kilometers per day. I've worked out overweight. <laughs> so that's, that's all quite interesting, but there is some... Absolutely unbelievable tech out there for dogs. You can actually get vests where you can do ECGs with a vest on your dog. Yeah, so it's all this incredible stuff. But I think the smart collar is something that is nice and passive. You put it on there and you don't have to worry about it too much. Charge it up on a regular basis. Get the information fed through to your smartphone and just keep a bit of an eye on your dog and still keep an idea where your dog's up to as well. So in other words, if it's running around the neighbourhood, you can keep a bit of an eye on it. So smart collar, keep an eye out for that. I know we did some gifts at the end of last year, Christmas gifts, but this would be a great gift for someone as well. Yeah, that's amazing. The take-up in Australia for solar panels on roofs has been enormous over the past two decades. New South Wales alone installed 108,000 just in 2020 alone. Of course, when upgrading existing roofs, it makes perfect sense just to drop panels on top of the tiles. But what about if you could just make your whole roof photovoltaic in the initial build? Wouldn't that make a whole lot of sense? Matt, this idea isn't a brand new idea. It's been around for about five years, but this is now getting a whole lot more practical. More practical and more cost effective. It was Tesla who actually came out with the idea back in 2016 where they said, we've got some shingles, you've got some solar panel shingles, build your roof out of these. And people said, wow, it's a great idea. But then they did the numbers. And they Mm. found if you're building a new house and you put a normal roof on, whether it be made from shingles or colour bond here in Australia, and then put solar panels on top, that was actually cheaper than using a Tesla roof. So most people went, you know what, I like the idea, but not that much, so I'm going to pay way more for it. But there's a company in America called GAF, and they build a lot of shingles. They make a lot of shingles for new houses around the world, particularly in America, and they've come up with shingles that are just as easy to mount and basically install as a normal shingle would be in a roof, but the price is much more cost-effective to the point where it's cheaper to build your entire roof out of these solar panel shingles than it would be to build a normal roof and then put solar panels on top. Wow, that's got amazing advantages there because if you've got a roof with limited um, accessibility for putting panels on... 
then um, having your entire roof made out of these solar-powered shingles is just fantastic. So your whole roof made out of them and then mounting them is just as easy as a normal shingle. They nail in like a normal shingle would nail in. And you think, well, how are you going to nail through a solar panel? But obviously they've been made where the solar panel sits below a nailing Mm. panel at the top. So you basically nail in as per normal. Then they're all connected together. But the other crucial thing that you alluded to then is that they're made in separate pockets so that if you get a bit of shading for example from a tree or you've got something on your roof that shades some part of your roof then you don't lose all that solar power so in solar panels for example when you put them on if you shade too many of them you can lose a whole lot of power because there's a whole bunch connected together but the way these shingles work is they're not individual but they're in small groups so you can lose a little bit of power from shading but it doesn't mean you lose all the power coming from that roof so great idea in terms of putting all that together, but you're right, having a whole roof just made out of solar-powered shingles sounds brilliant. They're strong enough you can walk over them still, just like a normal roof. You can't go jumping up and down and playing uh, basketball perhaps, but uh-huh. you can walk around them, make sure you try and walk on the battens as you would with a normal roof, but you can walk on them, use them as normal. They can handle hail, rain, weather, maybe not so many trees falling on top of them, but <laughs> they're just as strong as a normal roof, but they're solar panel, and that just sounds brilliant. Yeah, right. So you can solar panel your roof and then solar panel your driveway as well, because I understand we've got uh, road servicing solar panels as well. So you could become the solar panel house. That's right. Just It's all about surface area, isn't it? Uh, more surface area. More surface <laughs> area. There we come back to it again. <laughs> Now, remember when you used to have to get up out of your comfy chair to change the channel? Uh, Those primitive days before aimless channel serving. The remote control changed all that, but hold on, folks, for first world problem number 19,261. How about when the battery in your remote runs flat? Is there anything more frustrating than a flat battery in your TV remote? Well, yes, of course, there is literally 5,000 more frustrating things, but this one is set to become a memory. Thank you to the innovators of the TV remote technology. Matt, this is music to my ears, a remote control that will never die. So surely you haven't had a flat battery in a remote control recently. It happened today. No way. <laughs> <laughs> this is so pertinent. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, You're right. It frustration. does. It does seem slightly like a first world problem, but it's a real problem if you go to change the remote control battery and there's no batteries in the household yeah. and then if it's late at night oh. and the supermarket's not open, what are you going to do then? So this is a real problem. But I want to go back a little and bit. And your whole entertainment just shuts down. That's, that's right. How could you change it? Mainly <laughs> are there buttons there anywhere? Surely not. Oh. <laughs> but way back, if I can just jump back in history a little bit, on the 20th of March 1900, so we're going back that far, US patent number 645576, which I'm sure you'd be familiar with that particular mm, patent number, yeah. that was granted in the name of Nikola Tesla. And the patent was for the system of transmission of electrical energy. So Tesla had this belief, and he became a bit obsessed with it at one stage of his career, that electricity could be transmitted wirelessly through the air over long distances. And so he worked on this, and he got some funding for it, and he tried to make it happen, but he never really got there. Now, it wasn't that the theory was wrong, and with Tesla, often the theory was absolutely spot on. It was sometimes the practicality of building it. And for this sort of wireless transmission over long distances, then you need something incredibly powerful somewhere because you're dissipating that energy in three dimensions. In three dimensions. Yeah, so, but I understand there was also another problem here, but they weren't quite sure how they were going to charge people for the electricity. <laughs> so they didn't go problem. any further with it because it was much easier to charge people when you had it going through power lines. Through a metre, that's exactly <laughs> right. But look, he had this idea that you'd just sit a light bulb on the desk and you'd turn the light bulb on and it would turn on. And I know people who used to think that PowerPoint, you'd want another PowerPoint on the wall, you just 
cut a hole in the wall and stick a PowerPoint in and that was it. Magically, you've got a PowerPoint. <laughs> they didn't realise there was some cabling that went in behind there. So the idea of this whole wireless electricity has been around but never really utilised in practical terms. But this now, in terms of a solution, is the first time I've seen this concept used with something that is something, let's call it practical, remote control for your TV. Sure, maybe not the most important thing to power with wireless electricity, but that's exactly what Samsung is doing. They've got their latest range of TVs have now got a wireless, sorry, a batteryless remote control that doesn't even have batteries or a charging port. Mm. So you go, what sort of hocus-pocus magic are you talking about <laughs> now? Surely you've been drinking too much over New Year and you don't know what's going on in the world. But that's exactly what they've got. They're relying on Wi-Fi in your house because, let's face it, if you've got a modern smart TV in your house, there's a pretty good chance you're going to have Wi-Fi. This remote control uses Wi-Fi, the energy from Wi-Fi, to create enough electricity to not charge the batteries in your remote but to charge a capacitor in your remote. And then when you press some buttons on the remote, that's enough to drain the capacitor to a certain extent. But it's not as if the remote control needs to be going all the time. So it's not unless like you're a hopeless channel flicker. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe they've got a recommendation only so many clicks per second for this particular <laughs> remote. But the idea is no batteries. So batteries are storing energy chemically. Capacitors are storing energy, uh, I'd probably say it's more like static electricity is the way a capacitor is storing electricity, mm. in a very crude sort of example there. But that's what it's doing. It's picking up enough Wi-Fi from the house that you're in that it charges up the capacitor and then when you press a button on there, it discharges some of that electricity from the capacitor to actually send a very low-powered signal because it's only going to get from your remote to the TV that might be... Yeah, it's a fairly weak signal that travels from any remote to a television, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So if you're within about 40 metres of your Wi-Fi or your wireless access point or your Wi-Fi router, that's all it needs. It's got enough energy from that to actually charge it up and work. So it it seems like a first world problem. Yes, I grant you that. It seems like it's not really that important in the whole scheme of things, but this is the beginning. This is the beginning of saying you know what, we can harvest power from what's out there in the air. And you actually are providing power to your Wi-Fi router, obviously. You're putting out that power, but it's going out there to let your TV work or your mobile phone work or your various devices, but it's being wasted apart from that. So why not harvest some of that power? And I tell you, uh, the tree hugger in me hates pulling old batteries out of uh, uh, any sort of device and throwing or, or having to dispose of those. So, um, yeah, I, I reckon uh, this is a great step. Uh, the more things we can we can charge by Wi-Fi, the better, I reckon. And that's part of the concept from Samsung as well. They said that last year Americans threw away 86,000 tonnes of single-use alkaline batteries. So they're mm. the AAAs, the AA's, yeah. those sort of batteries. So the idea of this is if we don't have to throw away quite so many now, remote control, sure, you put some batteries in that and you throw them away every couple of years you've probably got some other things that might use a bit more power that this wouldn't be practical for. But if you can start to chew away at the edges and start to reduce the use of some of those batteries, then that's making the world a bit better place from a green perspective. Mm. But then we might get better at harvesting power. We might get other ways that we can harvest power and use it in things like a capacitor rather than batteries. So yeah. this is really something more that seems insignificant, but, yeah. but that's right. But it, it, I think over time we'll see more and more use of this type of I suppose, uh, wireless transmission of electrical energy, just like Tesla predicted back in 1900. (laughs) Thank you, Nikola Tesla. Now, the fully automated home predicted in the 80s is a step closer with the touchless taps for your kitchen and bathroom. Is this taking contactlessness 
too far? Or is this some nifty tech to keep you one more step ahead of the Joneses? Matt, I can see these taking off in big time in new homes. Uh, germophobes aside, these have the capacity to be a, a, a real game changer, particularly where conditions like arthritis or cerebral palsy um, have big impacts. Yeah, I think that's probably not their main focus for it, but it is a very practical way that could be used. I think it is an example of keeping up with the Joneses. So you've got your smart tap in your house, friends walk over and they say, hey, I just want to wash my hands. How do I just tell the tap what to do or wave your hands? You can move your hands in different directions to change the temperature. You can have a default temperature. You can have settings to make sure it's safe for the temperature you use. So you can use (laughs) hand gestures or your voice to make water come out, to stop water coming out, and to change the temperature of the tap. This so I can imagine cool. when we finally are allowed to have parties again uh, in our houses <laughs> and people are going to the bathroom, you're going to have to like have someone, a sentinel at the bathroom door just <laughs> explaining how to use the tap. Here's a full set of instructions. Watch this video before entering the bathroom to see how to use the tap. That's but exactly right. taps, I think it's a great idea. And now, we see them sometimes when we go to public toilets, you yeah. wave your hand underneath it. It seems like pretty basic sort of technology. But, but you're not controlling any temperature or anything with those. And That's right. And it's got a, a set time frame to work for. These give you the ability to give you some more flexibility in what you do. But also, it's the first range of taps that's actually come out for the home. Those other ones have obviously been industrial taps and probably been industrial priced as well. I can't imagine this is particularly cheap. Moen, M-O-E-N, make this particular one. And you know it's American because they call it a, a Moen smart faucet. Faucet, yeah. <laughs> I always think of Farrah faucet when I, <laughs> when I hear faucet. But but the faucet, F-A-U-C-E-T, of course. And so it's a home tap it's a home device to really show off how far we've come with our technology we don't even need to use our hands contactless makes sense i don't know if that's the real drive for it i think the real drive is look at this cool technology look at this cool tap we've got the other companies don't have that by ours and i think you know it might be expensive now um but uh you know those prices are set to come down in the next decade or so um and we'll see these popping up in people's houses more and more and you won't need that sentinel at the bathroom through party. Once enough people get them, then you won't need that, will you? Right, you just I've know. got one of these, I know how to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're still in the bathroom for the next story as well. The gentle, fine art of pouring the perfect bath has gotten a bit easier now. Fans of the long, soothing soak, you can now prepare the perfect tub all by voice command, volume, temperature, with stored memory for different members of the family. Thank you very much. Matt, tell me it's got a bubble dispenser as well. It should have, shouldn't it? <laughs> Surely it's got to be in there. It's an optional extra. that You pay more for that one. But this is even better than the last one because you don't even need to be at the tap for this one. You have this connected to your smart home. You can just yell from the bathroom. You yell from the kitchen. Oh, sorry. Like. <laughs> from the kitchen. That's right. You're in the kitchen. The kids want to have a just bath. talk to Alexa. And say, yep, Alexa, give me a bath. I want it at this particular temperature. 42 degrees seems like an ideal temperature to have it at. Fill it up, please. And that will also drain on command. So if you're worried about kids in the home and you leave that bathtub filled up and you worry about one of the kids playing in the bath when you're not there, then you can drain it remotely as well. Now, it's getting to the point, I've almost got what I want here, James. It's not quite there, but I don't have gas in my home. I'm a big fan of electricity. And so I have, or actually solar hot water, but I've got hot water that comes through that's heated effectively by electricity. And I want the temperature in my shower to be the exact temperature I want without having to move an old-fashioned handle. But I've never been able to find something that will mix the two, the cold and the hot, to get me the right temperature. Well, this here obviously does it in the bath because how else are you going to get the right temperature in your bath without it mixing the cold and the hot? I'm assuming it doesn't want gas in there. I'm assuming it uses electricity or can use electric hot water for this. So surely if they've got it for the bathtub, 
we're not that far away from the shower now because <laughs> I hate it when my wife gets in the shower and changes the temperature and then I've got to muck around for the first, you know, 20 seconds or so of my shower getting it just the right temperature. Yeah. Whereas if I just had it automatically mixed, I just get in and say 42.7 degrees, my wife can get in and say 41.8 degrees, that's fine. They're both just automatically set to those temperatures. And like you say, with this particular bath, it will remember different people. You can have different people with different bath temperatures that they might want, even different bath levels. Some people like to have the bath very full. Some people like to have it, have it half full. It'll do all of that. So it'll fill it up to the right level for you, mix the right temperature, and then drain it when you're finished. Sounds pretty cool. I just want something like that for my shower now where I can just get the temperature right. <laughs> and like the kettle, if you boil the kettle, you've got to make sure you use that hot water. Don't go and fill the bathtub and then forget that you filled the bathtub and then come back later. Oh, I filled the bathtub. That's right. It's gone cold. And now it's gone cold. So now, oh, I can't heat it up. Drain the bathtub. That's right. So. <laughs> That's right. Here's an important story now for my sister-in-law, Maggie. Listen up. Snoring. Now, I backpacked around Sumatra with my older brother back in the late 90s, and we shared a bedroom in hostels up and down the island. And I've never heard such a nocturnal cacophony as the sound of him in a deep sleep. He was clearing thick Indonesian rainforest in his dreams. I am certain of it. Well, in 2022, there's a high-tech pillow now coming into the market loaded with self-inflating and deflating airbags, of all things. Matt, thankfully for my wife, I'm not a snorer, but what's the go with these pillows? Well, it sounded like a great solution. My wife saw this story and thought, fantastic. I can <laughs> knock my, the, I can, I'm the, the culprit. I'm the guilty one here. <laughs> I can knock my darling husband's head off with airbags because she imagined airbags <laughs> like in a car. <laughs> Launch you into the ceiling. <laughs> That's right. You start snoring at the first sign of snoring, bang, off goes the airbag. You're plastered into the ceiling and you won't snore again. And when you finally night. come to several hours later, <laughs> you, there's this big hole in your ceiling. That's and right. Like, How the hell happened? So it's not quite an airbag like that. This has got airbags that are slightly slower in inflating than the airbags might be in your car. And again, it's pretty clever technology. It's got a series of airbags throughout the pillow and then a listening box. And the listening box listens for where you're snoring, which angle your head is at. Are you snoring to the right, to the left? Where are you you snoring at? And then these airbags slowly inflate. So unlike when my wife shoves me in the back and says, wake up, you're snoring. (laughs) It's designed to just slowly move your head without waking you up so you can still have a peaceful night's rest, get a full eight-hour sleep or whatever you desire to get without being woken up from your own snoring and by cutting out the snoring for other people that oh, might be in your wow. household. So we, we seem to solve a lot of first world problems here, don't we? It doesn't yeah. sound like that big a problem, but for people that do have to live with a snorer, I'm sure this is a oh, major no, problem. a major problem. Yeah. So having these very sensitive microphones and airbags where it just moves the person's head around to try and stop that snoring is, a, I think, a great idea. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I just Someone has thought of that um, uh, to design it. That's the other incredible thing. I think I guess- that necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, so I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure somewhere out there there's a scientist who went, you know what, I'm, I'm sick, sick of, of my, my that's right, my <laughs> partner snoring. What can I do about it? And after trying a variety of things, this is the solution they came up with. And again, it's obviously working well enough that it's now commercialised. Mm. Maybe we'll get airbags in cricket bats um, uh, to wake people up as well later on too. No, I don't know. Now, would you have guessed two years ago that one of the most prized consumables of the current age would be a fresh rapid antigen test? Can you find one to, to purchase? At the time of recording this, folks, they are as rare as hen's teeth, but so important for people to be able to use to limit the spread of COVID. Well, at least there's a new website now to provide alerts 
from real retailers when they arrive on the shelf. Matt, desperate times and desperate measures. Desperate times, desperate measures, but it's actually not from retailers. Oh, right. What I really loved about this was that a guy had developed this because it was so hard to find a rapid antigen test. Yeah, so mostly frustrating. That's right, and people are going into pharmacies and saying, have you got any rapid antigen tests? No, going online trying to find them. They can't find them anywhere. So, again, that necessity is the mother of invention. Mother of invention, yeah. They, this guy developed a website, and what he relies on is people going and attempting to buy some rats and giving feedback to the website to say, I found them here, or no, they're not here, or they should be in tomorrow. And so it's, again, that real-time data that's coming in, not from the retailers, not from anyone that tries to control them, but from the public. The public. And okay. this is what's so great about some of these solutions now, where information coming from the public, you've got so many people out there, that if you can get information coming in from the public, that gives you more accurate information than any formal process. Because you can imagine, if you're a pharmacy, and you've got some rats in, you wouldn't worry about going and uploading the information to a website because you're selling them so quick. By the time you upload the information to a website, they'll already be sold out. So people are using their information, what they're finding out there in the marketplace, to do it. And I actually tried this. I was actually in Sydney just a couple of days ago and I actually tried using this because we just thought, oh, well, we should go and keep testing ourselves on a regular basis. And so we actually went to the website and you'd look there and you basically search around where you are. So you put your address in and you search around where you are. And, of course, every place around you says none available, none available, mm. none available. And then you'd find one, you'd go, oh, let's go there. But you really had to be close by because... <laughs> <laughs> You've got a, a, a short 10 minutes, <laughs> maybe five. I reckon yeah. it's about, yeah, I reckon probably five or 10 minutes because there were some places we'd get to within 15 yeah. or 20 and they'd say, oh, sorry, we've just sold out. Oh, no, we, we just saw it on the website. So it's a great way of solving a problem. Again, how do you get it quicker than that? I'm not sure if there's another way to do it mm. better than that, maybe having more tests in the first place. But what I love about stories like this is that it's, it's two things. One, people are developing solutions very quickly. There's a problem, let's go and solve the problem, let's go up with the solution. And the second thing is that they're using crowd information. They're using mm. all this information from the general public rather than relying on an official government website or an official website from a wholesaler or a retailer. It's relying on people like you and I to feed the information in. Yeah, that's amazing. And, um, yeah, what a celebration of collaboration. Yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. right. And there's all the talk, of course, about them being free, but I don't see much point in having free rapid engine tests when you can't even get them. So, mm-hmm. And people are putting the prices up and they're still selling them. So I, I don't think the pricing is a problem. I think it's just a good old-fashioned supply problem. Mm. So if you're still insisting that fossil fuels are the way of the future, then you're not going to like this next story at all. Diesel electric trains are on the way out as Aussie Rail and British mining companies collaborate on a new greener way to ship vast amount, vast amounts of heavy goods along long distances across our outback. Matt, this has enormous implications for future transport. What is the green alternative for our mining companies? And I know mines or mining companies get a hard time sometimes, and sometimes because of what they do actually mine, and that's fair enough. If they're still mining coal, they might get a bit of a hard time about that. But it can be fairly intensive on what we have, the resources we have on this planet. And you take a large train, and some of these trains over in WA, for example, are hugely yeah. long trains. And you can imagine how much diesel they're using, because they're mostly most of these trains are diesel electric. That's the concept that's been around for about a century now, where you're basically running a diesel engine to produce electricity to then run electric motors on the actual wheel. So that's the general concept. But this particular collaboration is all about changing the diesel electric 
to hydrogen electric. And they've got a few advantages there. For a start, they've got a big train. So they've got essentially a large amount of storage capacity for hydrogen, and they've got a large amount of capacity to basically change the way they convert that hydrogen to electricity. So it's not like you've got a a car or something that's very small you're trying to do all that Mm. in. So you've got a lot of space available for you. And then they've usually got a few dollars. So they can actually put a bit of money into the research and development of this to get to the stage where they've got a solution. If they can get a solution that works really well, the implications, I think, are twofold. Firstly, you'll see more diesel electric trains converted over to hydrogen electric. That's great for freight all across the nation, in fact, all across the world. But when we start to get the technology right, then we start to look at cars. Now, the biggest problem that people seem to have with electric vehicles is the range and then the charging time. So, oh no, I want to jump in the car and drive 2,000 kilometres to go on holidays, which I do once in a blue moon, but I can't buy an electric car because that electric car can't do that conveniently. Mm. But hydrogen electric has the same advantages of an electric car. It's quick acceleration. It's got all that torque available from zero. Good for the planet. But you can refuel just as fast as you can a normal petrol car. So it really takes away that last negative associated with it. So if we can get there, and then, of course, the important part is how we produce the hydrogen. But there are more and more places around the world that are getting to the stage where they're producing hydrogen using renewable power. Mm. And that's a great way to take something that might be an inconsistent supply, i.e. solar panels, for example, and turn it into a consistent supply in terms of hydrogen. So that's one way of converting our renewable supply chain, which can be up and down in its actual production of power, to something that's more reliable, such as hydrogen. So good parts all around, I think, in this. Yeah, what amazing innovation there. Viva la revolution. (laughs) Um, The miners here, uh, they're well and truly on board with green energy and showing you that you can do pretty much anything with uh, some well-directed financial impetus. Yeah, that's it. I think that's the bottom line is put a few dollars behind it, you can make most things happen. Yeah. Now, bathroom scales are a bone of contention in many homes, particularly ours, but to date this troublesome technology has only had one job essentially, and we argue in our house that they can't even get that right. Well, there is a new model of bathroom scale on the market that can do more than just measure your weight. It'll check your heart health and segmented body composition too. Matt, this is all very well and good, but can it deliver bad news gently? (laughs) No, it can't. (laughs) I actually do have a bit of a problem with my scales. I've got some nice electronic scales that give me all sorts of information, but I just find every time I come back from a holiday, they seem to be out. Lies. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And it takes a couple of weeks for them to finally get back (laughs) to showing what they're meant to show. So I'm not sure what happened in that time frame, but obviously they're unreliable and they're stupid for those couple of weeks. They do, they do. Not the people, not the people, of course. (laughs) But we do have bathroom scales now that, Obviously, you can take your mass, to be technically correct. They're not measuring your weight, as you would know. They're Mm. measuring your mass, of course. And then they can give you your BMI or your body fat percentage. And they measure a whole range of things. But they're doing that all via your feet. What these new scales from Withings actually will do is they've got a sensor, a little like a lift-up handle that sits there in front of you, and it does a body scan as well, which sounds a little bit invasive, but it does it from the outside. <laughs> and what it does give you, as you mentioned there, the thing that I think is most important is that segmented body composition. So it will give you fat levels in each leg, each arm, and your torso. So I've had people tell me they've got wow. big bones, for example, so their BMI reading yeah, is out yeah. because they've got big bones. Sure. This would give them some real information about 
where they might need to work on their body. They might be weightlifters and have very big arms or very big legs, but maybe they're still carrying a bit too much around the middle, or they might have skinny arms and a bit too much around the middle so the yeah, weight doesn't wow. show up. So a whole range of different variables I can see there. But this overall body composition is something that it's probably a bit harder to come back from holidays then and go, damn, those scales, they're wrong again, because yeah, wow. it might be a bit more obvious about where that extra weight is actually appearing. Goodness me. Um, yeah, I, I just... Um I guess with with this new scanner that, that we're probably not that far away from being able to maybe even you know identify potential cancer growths perhaps you know with with dense cells growing in particular areas and whatnot who knows I mean I'm just you know fielding the way for uh, future innovation yeah there. that's good work <laughs> just se- <laughs> sending I, that out to the the future scientists yeah. no, no I think you're right I mean once you start to read that body composition and start to look at the body overall you can start to look at the fat levels that we've talked about but you can also look at that cardiovascular activity across yeah. your body but what's to stop it being the next thing what's to stop it being what things are in your body what's the bone density like from outside what things can we measure from outside and things, yeah. all sorts of things like that now i'm not sure how many of those things we can measure from the outside compared to how many we need to do some sort of invasive testing there but it's pretty incredible what we can do i mean we know we've got machines that are very expensive that can do a whole range of measurements of our body how many of those things can we build into a home mm. device i wouldn't have thought you could have done things like body fat percentages only a few years ago but they can do those quite reliably and this even gets better than that so it's certainly progressing and if you wanted my prediction for the next decade of where we'll see technology growth it will be all around health we're taking worse care of ourselves we we eat worse we don't exercise enough so the solution to that is not to eat better and exercise more but it's to use technology to tell us how bad we are at various things before we have to have a doctor tell us us the early warnings at least well i think that's right i think and if we get that information we might start to take some different paths maybe am i dreaming you would hope <laughs> you would hope but i think that's really where we'll see a huge amount of growth i think we'll see growth in the health sector the technology health sector will be the biggest growth sector i think in technology over the next five to ten years because i think that's where people are really seeing that they can make a difference obviously the science is there bring it down to the home level and really making a difference to people's lives more so than maybe not changing the batteries in your remote controls <laughs> <laughs> and with that ladies and gentlemen I'm off to our local pharmacy to set up a campsite and see if I can't get a rapid antigen test or two as I hit the shelf. Uh, thanks for another spot on episode, Matt. I guess you're off to get busy on some bathroom renovations, perhaps, putting in some new taps and whatnot. We've got lots of things to do in the house from this week. We've got a new roof to put on, new taps in the kitchen and the bathroom. We've got some new scales to put in the bathroom. Phew, with all that, I probably won't need to measure my body fat because all that work I have to do, I'll be right, won't I? <laughs> And I'm James Eddy. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing you another Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in another week's time.